2019, start of a new year, you know, New Year's resolutions come out and, and people are all across the spectrum about that. Typically you hear a lot of statistics about how they fail and all of that. And and it, it's kind of easy to get caught up in this sort of, are you going to do a New Year's resolution? What's your plans and all this? And and maybe without realizing it, we're swayed by how the world views all of this versus how the Bible views what we're supposed to be about. Not just for a New Year's resolution, but an everyday resolution. An everyday resolution, right? We can gear up for a New Year's resolution and make some really good plans like you saw there. And nothing wrong with that necessarily, uh, unless, as we'll see in Scripture, you, you left the Lord out of that planning. Uh, but, you know, in, in this room, I'm guessing there's all kinds of people. Some of you maybe are planners. And you, you, you already you got the whole year dialed in. Some of you, you know, you stopped planning and making New Year's resolutions a long time ago, but you didn't realize that not planning is actually planning, and you'll see in a little bit why, how that works. Some people look forward to New Year. Like, yes, New Year, fresh start, let's do this, right? Others, hmm, more of a meh, meh, right? Another year, same old, same old. You know, and, and it's interesting, depending on how, who you talk to. Some of you are, are joyfully expectant of what the Lord is going to do, could do. Others, maybe 2018 was tough, and you're sitting here wondering if 2019 is going to be more the same, and, you know, maybe a little fear, maybe a little trepidation, maybe not so much joy and enthusiasm. And my hope and prayer for us, wherever you are on that emotional Spectrum, wherever you are on this New Year's resolution, my prayer has been all week as we look at this verse is, Lord, show us biblically. Give us biblical direction in this idea of, of looking forward. I love, the, I love how that ended, right? I give up because something has to change. How many of you ever had that come to the end of yourself moment, right? See, I love the way that that ended because that, when, when someone comes and wants to chat, and that is their heart, and sometimes that even actually comes out of their mouth. You know what? I realized that this is a person who is now teachable. This person has what we say around here often, come to the end of themselves. Right? They're waving the white flag. They've tried it. They've, they've given it their best shot. And finally, ah, I give up. Because something has to change. And, and that's not a, such a bad place to be. In fact, sometimes that's fertile soil for you to actually humble yourself and come back to your first love, be teachable all over again. And in that heart that's now softened because you're so frustrated, because you've hit your head against the wall so many times, in that softness of heart, sometimes that's when God really brings great transformation because you get out of the way, because you're finally done, right? And so this morning, my prayer as we go into 2019 as a church and then individually in your lives and my life, that God would just give us direction. Where do we start? And we're going to see it starts really in the heart, right? In James 4.13, familiar passage, he says this, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there. Carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Right? I, I love this in the context of where we are, 2019. Now listen. In some versions it says, look here. Other versions says, come now. What are you saying? is, hey, take a time out. In all your busyness, stop. <sighs> now listen. So what are you saying? Just, just be still. And he says, today or tomorrow, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to that city. In the context, this wasn't a bad statement. In fact, it was very uh, common for businessmen in this culture to actually buy goods, and go to another city to sell them. And they would stay in that city until they sold them, 
once they sold them and made a profit, they would buy more, th- more goods, go to another city, sell them for a profit, and they would just repeat this cycle of buying and selling in different cities, and when they made enough profit, they would head home. So in the context, most people would go, oh yeah, I know people who do that all the time. It's, it wasn't anything necessarily bad in and of itself. It happened all the time. What was the problem was this. It says, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. The problem wasn't planning. And this is where sometimes in the church we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Oh, no, planning. Oh, now you're hyper-controlling. Oh, no, I don't plan. I just, you know, uh, let God, you know. I just, I just, whatever happens, happens, you know. You got to be careful with that. Nothing wrong with planning. In fact, planning helps us be really good stewards of what God brings into our life, right? Time, money, resources. Nothing wrong with planning. The issue here was planning without God. The absence of God in their planning was the core of this problem. It's like what the Bible says, uh, money isn't a problem. It's what? The love of money, right? So planning isn't the problem for you or for me or in the context of these verses. The planning, the issue was planning without, without any care to bring God into it on the front end. They were just, oh, we got it. Done it. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I've always done. This is what we're going to do. Got it. Self-sufficiency. Don't need the Lord. We got our plan, right? That was the main problem. It had to do with this issue of who's in control, who's driving the ship, who's steering it. And in this case, it was them. It was them. It had to do with their motive. It was about them. Selfish motives. In fact, in James 4.3, he addresses kind of even the selfish motives of prayer. In James 4.3, it says, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Even in our prayer, if we're not careful... Our prayers become about us. And it's a self-centered prayer. And James 4.3 says, that's why you're not answering, you're, getting answers, you're not getting answers to your prayers because God knows it's all about you. It's just to meet your selfish needs. Same thing with planning. A lot of our planning, if we leave out of, God out of the equation, is about who? Me. And what's going to work for me and what, how I'm going to succeed and how I'm going to achieve this and that. It's all about me, Right? What he's saying in James 4, 13 to 17 is really that, hey, businessmen, you need to kind of have what, what we call a blue pencil moment, right? Now, in the literary world, there's a thing called blue penciling or something that's been blue penciled. When you submit a transcript or an article to an editor, a copy editor, they read it with a blue pencil, right? Go ahead, Eileen. And... and, and They edit copy with a blue pencil. It's called blue penciling or being blue penciled. And what's happening in this verse is he's like, hey, you know all those plans you made without God? You need to give them the blue pencil. You're having a blue pencil moment. And for us, as we launch out into 2019, I wonder how many of us, likewise, Need a blue pencil moment. Need a blue pencil moment, right? Where, where we haven't even acknowledged, here, Lord, actually, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you a blank piece of paper and I'm gonna give you the pencil first. <laughs> you, why don't you write on the paper for me your will for 2019? Right? Why is this important? We spent all of fall looking at God's grace, God's supernatural empowerment enabling for us in our daily life, in sanctification, right? This was the, the illustration we used in the fall where this heater is on and right in here, this circular shape, all the heat's right here. And we said, that's kind of like God's grace. It's always on. God always is enabling. It's just there. The resources are there. For us in the fall, the question was, how do we position ourselves to be recipients of it? Constantly, day in and day out. How do I position myself to be here? Because the minute I get out of here, I'm out of the, the heat. And we saw in 1 Peter 5, 7, 
at the root of our positioning, staying here or moving out of God's grace, is pride. It's pride. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God opposes the proud. We saw that that's a military term. He comes up in battle array against those who are prideful and arrogant. The crazy thing is right across the battle line is God actively opposing you in your pride. In your pride, right? We also saw that pride isn't walking around kind of like the big cheese, big man on campus, big woman on campus. That's not pride. Biblical pride essentially is self at the center. We saw that God, the the first circle, we saw that God wants his grace to be at the center of everything in your life. Right? God wants his grace to empower you and to lead you and guide you through every area of your life. What is pride biblically? It's when we replace grace with self. Self now becomes the center of my life and your life. We looked at some incredible quotes that I really like. It says, pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon him. Pride lifts up one's heart against God and contends for supremacy with him. Right? Quick survey. How many of you have watched some of the videos on the Bible reading so far? Wonderful, right? So you saw that in the video in the Bible reading in Genesis, what's going on in Genesis? God creates humans to reflect and rule, right? And he gives them the choice. Hey, humans, I give you the choice. You can either submit to what I determine is good and evil, right and wrong, or you can act autonomously. And you can become like God and determine right and wrong. That, that's what's going on. Way back in Genesis 3, and the video did a great job of it, showing that it was pride. Pride. Pride is a state of mind, or more essentially, a condition of the heart, in which a person has supplanted the rule of God over his life with the rule of his own will. Instead of depending entirely on God, as was God's design, a proud heart now looks to itself to decide what is good and evil. This was exactly the folly of Adam and Eve when they determined to disobey God, to become like God. Right? So pride isn't walking around all cocky and like, you know. Pride really is like, who's the boss? Who's in charge? And as you're launching into 2019 with your career and your relationship with your kids and your marriage and your own walk with Jesus, who's, who's on the throne? Who's at the center? Who's at the center right now as you sit here, Right? And in James 4, he, 14, he brings him, he kind of tries to get them to, to recognize humility and, and to be humble. He says, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil, Right? What did we define? We saw in the fall, biblical humility isn't beating yourself up. Isn't like, you know, just being horrifically negative on yourself. That's not being humble. Biblical humility is seeing yourself accurately in light of God. True biblical humility comes when I see God for who he is, and then I recognize who I am in light of that. Right? And, and, and he says, hey, time out here. You don't even know if you're going to make it to tomorrow. You don't even know if you're going to make it. We don't even know it. I mean, honestly, right? And, and, and it's so common. And you say it, and sometimes it's a cliche, and you know, I don't want to be all this like old fear-mongering shock. The truth is, we don't know what's going to happen. Now, we would all like to make it home and get to bed tonight. We would all. And we pretty much woke up this morning assuming that we were going to make it to tonight. Right? But do we really know? We really don't. Some of you already have plans for when you leave here for lunch and all that. That's great and everything. 
if the Lord wills. You know, the phrase Deo Valente, Lord willing. See, when you recognize that we really don't know what's happening, that we really don't have as much control as we want to try to believe and convince ourselves that we have, it's humbling. It's humbling. You know, and what do you do with that? Well, you go to God and you humble yourself before the Lord. Luke 6.46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Right? We throw around the words Lord and Master and King of Kings and God, and yet then we just kind of flippantly blow them off. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't even do what I say? Who's Lord? Who's really Lord? Right? But then Psalm 25 says, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his way. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. If you want, to be, if you want the Lord to guide you in 2019, you've got to be humble. It says right there, he guides the humble and teaches them. It starts with humility. And then in verse 17, it says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So see, typically, most sins we call the sins of commission, things you commit, bad acts. There's also what they call the sins of omission, which means you know what you're supposed to do, but you kind of just choose not to. So there's two kinds of sins, the sins of commission and the sins of omission. He says, hey, if you know what you're supposed to be doing and you're not doing it, it's still sin, right? quote by a guy named Douglas Moo, he says this, he has urged us to take the Lord into consideration in all our planning. We therefore have no excuse in this matter. We know what we are to do. To fail now to do it, James wants to make clear, is sin. So in the context of this passage, what, we, what's, what's, what is he saying? In all of our planning, in my planning, in pastoral planning, in ministry planning, what is he saying? You cannot exclude God. You cannot. Right? And here's the thing. Most people who read those verses, if you've read them before, you go, well, that's for those type A's. That's for those drivers who have their planners and everything scheduled. I'm not like that. In fact, I don't make resolutions. That doesn't apply to me. Okay, let's think about that. So all these type A planners are leaving God out of the equation because they're type A planners and they're going to go charge the hill in 2019. And then there's a group over here who says, I'm not a planner. I don't have to do anything. I don't even need to consult a God about not doing anything. They're equally guilty of sin. They're equally guilty of sin. In either case, if you are not considering God in your plans, whether it's planned craziness or planned complacency, you're guilty of sin. Because either way, you're just doing what you want to do and you're at the center. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, church, in 2019, have you made time to ask God what He wants for you this year? Have you made the time? And if you hadn't, and if you haven't, come now, listen here. you got to stop. you got to stop because now, now you're just as guilty as those type A's who are charging the hill without asking God. You charge the hill, I'll stay here. Right? You're both guilty if you're not seeking God. You're not, and, and you re- you got to be real careful in the church because you get real close to the church of Laodicea, right? Revelation 3, 16 and 17. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But do you, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That is, he's talking not just your economic, he's talking spiritual. He's talking, hey church, if you're thinking in 2819 you're hitting in, you're just good, and you just kicked it into cruise control, and you can just slide through 2019 spiritually, he's like, you're lukewarm. Check yourself here. Check yourself here. 
Right? You're missing it. And what's the root of it? Pride. Pride. So how do we how do we how do we do this? How do how do we come back and and maybe we're six days. We're only six days into this, so hang in there. If you're like, man, six days into this. Okay, the good news is you have a great opportunity to hit the reset button right now. Right now. Okay? Because some of you didn't even know. You just kind of entered in a new year like you always typically do, and maybe this is new to you. Maybe you, maybe you just didn't understand how to approach things, and, and, and that's beautiful. I'm glad you're here. You're hearing it. Maybe it's just the way you just kind of do things. Ah, oh, yeah, I got, I got it, I got it, I got it. Maybe, honestly, some of you are just kind of complacent, and you feel like you arrived, and you're good to go. You're just good to go. I'm good to go, Right? Maybe some are just like straight up rebellion. Like, yeah, meh, meh, right? So how do we do this? How do we push the reset? Where do we go? Where do we look? I'm kind of like, whoa, ooh, didn't know that, right? We go back. If you want to know, how many, okay, let me ask it this way. How many of you want to know God's will for 2019? Right? Where do you look for that? where he's already revealed it. See, sometimes we, we make God's will like, like some mysterious thing, like God's hiding it behind his back. Mark, do you want to know my will? Which hand is it in? Pick a hand, Mark. Go ahead. Left? Wrong! Pick another one. Wrong! Right? We kind of see God like that, like he's like hiding, hiding his will from us. And if I would just pray more, if I would just be a better Christian, then, then God's going to like me and he's going to show it to me. And you're like, you, you, live, you live in like this weird relationship with God where he's like hiding things from you. It's a shell game. Nope, not there. Try again. God has revealed his will for you and for me primarily through his word. If you want to know the will of God for your life, you go to the word of God. And someone asked me, how do you know God's will? Here's the thing. God's will will always be consistent with his word. Always be consistent. So if someone comes to me and says, well, you know, God's calling me to do this and this, and it directly contradicts the word of God, I'll say, you're wrong. But I prayed about it. You're wrong. But I I got so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, and we prayed about it, and it feels really good. You're wrong. Goes back to the Lordship, goes back to humility. God's will for you and for me will always be consistent with His Word. Now, we're so prideful and feelings generated that we, we, we spiritualize things. I really prayed about it. I really prayed about it. I know what the Bible says, but I really prayed about it and I really feel this is good. With all the love in my heart, you're wrong. You're wrong about that. Because this is the authority, amen? And it's when you lose the authority of this and you question the authority of God's word, then you go down the slippery slope and you can make it say anything you want. You can make it say anything you want. You can get it to validate any position you want, political, anything you want, once you lose the authority of God's word. So if you want to know God's will for your life in 2019... You've got to settle the issue. It's found in his word, first and foremost, right? So what does his word say? What does his word say? John 17, 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. You want to be holy? You want to be set apart? That's what sanctified means? You go to God's truth. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Here's the most important thing. Maybe one of the most important things I hope you get from this if you're new to the Bible. The Bible, and I'm going to hold up my Bible because it's weird when I hold up my iPad. The Bible. It's just I feel better with this for some reason. How many of you have switched to electronic? How many of you are like old school, like, I need the paper, I just, right? Okay, anyway. 
How many of you are doing both? You're holding both, right? Here's the thing. God did not give us the Bible for information. God gave us the Bible for transformation. This was not given to us so that you and I in 2019 can fill our heads with more information and believe that because I got more information, I'm more mature. In fact, if you gain more information and you don't do anything with it, you are on a very slippery slope to immaturity and to legalism. He gave us his word for transformation. For transformation. We hear it. We understand it. We bring the doing of it. And that's transformation. Okay? When it says in in 16 and 17... It is true to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. See, this is what I'm saying. A lot of people like the, oh, I go to God's word. I want to learn. I want to learn. It's instructional. It is, but it's also correctional and rebukes us. Okay? That's God's plan. So in 2019, let's look at God's word. At this level, what is his plan? Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and what? Perfect will. So we've looked at this before. Be transformed. 2019, what is God's will for you and for me and all his kids? Is to be transformed. We've seen it before. The word is metamorphosis. The word picture is the caterpillar to the butterfly. This is his will for you as a believer. Non-believing caterpillar comes to know Jesus, puts a faith in Jesus. You are now in what we call sanctification for the rest of your days on this planet until Jesus comes back. You're not trying to be a better version of the caterpillar. You're a new creation in Christ. Amen? You're a new creation. You're born again. For the rest of your days on this planet, you are called to be transformed by the Word of God through the Holy Spirit. That's God's will for you, to be transformed in 2019. Therefore, unless you are there already, you got work to do in 2019. Amen? We all do. We all do. We're always in transformation, right? 1 Timothy 4, 7. Have nothing to do with godless, godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. What are we supposed to be doing in 2019? Training ourselves to be godly. Got work to do. That's God's will. You, many of you raised your hand. Many of you raised your hand. You wanted to know God's will. So two verses. Be transformed, exercise, train yourself to be godly. That word is where we get the word gymnasium. Yep, you're supposed to be going to the godly gym. The Lord's gym. Right? You're supposed to go to the Lord's gym. In 2019, your membership is already there waiting. Right? Your membership is there. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out, not work for, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. What's he talking about here? In 2019, you and I are to work out our salvation. That word work out is a mathematical term. It means, how many of you ever took math where it took you like half a page to write out the whole problem? Anyone, right? You have to show your work. That's what this means. It's a mathematical term which means work out your salvation to completion. So you and I in our sanctification, we're, we're still working out this sanctification math problem. He says keep working at it. Keep working at it, Right? Because it's God in his grace who's given you the desire and the energy and the power to do it. Right? It's a cooperative effort. So, God's will. Be transformed. Exercise yourself to be godly. Work out your salvation. 2019. That requires all of us to be actively engaged now. There's no, there's no well, you know, I'm good. No? Right? But it's not just for us. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, 
Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Why do we become godly? Why do we want to be transformed? Why do we want to work out our salvation? It's not for us. It's that God gets the glory. Amen? I love that. That they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father. Not you. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. When I read that passage, I think of the current state of this country. When right now, if you're a passionate follower of Jesus who believes this, the authoritative word of God, right now you're going to be accused of doing wrong just simply for believing this and living according to this truth. This is like present tense. We're living this verse right now. We're living this right now, right? And what did he say? Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So are we supposed to go out there and rant and rave and doesn't? No. What did he say? Just live a godly life. Live such a godly life that when any, your, your friends at school interact with you, your teammates interact with you, customers come in, whatever, at Vons, at Costco, just live such a good life that people go, man, can't say anything about that. That guy's legit. Man, that's an that's a, that's a honest dude. That person's nice. That person's friendly. That person smiles. That person has a joy. Just live. Live as a citizen of heaven whose name is written in the book of life. Amen? Just live. Live. And I got to tell you, the current state of this culture, the darkness that is here will give us as light more opportunity to shine. The light will shine brightest in the darkness. And I'm not talking about, again, ranting. I'm just talking live your life. Live as someone who has hope. Live as someone whose sins have been forgiven. (laughs) Live as someone who knows if you don't make it to your pillow tonight, you're going to be in a better place. You've got to start living this way because that's what's going to speak to the world. You know, I try to keep up on the news and I read all this stuff and I've got to tell you, man, in about 20 years since I graduated from high school, Things have gone pretty darn crazy. 28 years since I started in ministry as a pastor, 28 years ago to where I am today, even the view of what I do in this country, radical shift. Radical shift about how a lot of people view me and what I'm doing at this very second in this country from 28 years ago. And I've had to grapple with that. I've had to, I've had to wrestle with that. And, I, and it's uncomfortable at times. And I read the stories and we take care of things around here. And I, but we, we, we just do what we need to do in the, in the current climate of our culture. And I've had to say, okay, Lord, I take a deep breath here. And I had to make some personal decisions about how I want to conduct my life, personally and pastorally what it means to be a Christian in the Ojai Valley anymore. What does that even mean? And how do we honor God? Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. You know, I've, I've been in the valley almost 19 years. And in 19 years, i got to tell you, I've heard, you know, it's a small valley, so I hear when people are talking, what I call talking trash, about me or about this church or about my ministry. I hear it. It's a small valley. And I can get caught up in that and want to go and confront and go and put out fires and go and write an article and go out there and try to defend myself. Or I can just live a godly life and let God fight the battles. Amen? At a certain point, you're going to just have to choose. And first and foremost, you live a godly life. You live above reproach. You're not going to fight every... You're not going to fight every shadow out there. The fact is, even if you were to confront someone, how many of you have ever tried to confront someone and they won't yield anyway? 
it's, it's, it's pointless. But what can we do? Well, God's will says, live a godly life. Live a godly life. If you were here in December, we talked about this, uh, the slaves, right? Titus 2, 9 and 10, he says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive, right? And if you were here in December, I think it was December 23rd, we said, hey, this verse is writing to Christians who are still slaves. And in this culture, slaves were treated as less than human. The master could kill them. The master could sell them. The master could torture them. The master could split up families. Just like that. They were treated as less than human. It was a brutal, brutal life. In Titus, he's talking to Christian slaves who were still slaves. And he says, hey, here's what you're to do Tomorrow, when you go about your business in this horrific life you're living, what does he say? Look, be subject to their masters in everything. Try to please them. Don't talk back to them. Don't steal from them. Show you can be fully trusted. Why? So that in every way, you will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Think about that in light of your work situation, in light of the circumstances you're going to face in 2019. How can you make the gospel attractive, even in the midst of that very trying situation, right? And if you were here, we talked about this, that word attractive in some Bible versions, it says adorn. And the whole word picture is this, it's an ornament. Your life and my life is to adorn, ornament, decorate the gospel. Why do we put decorations on a tree? To make it what? Attractive. So what he's saying is, is, hey, slaves, by not talking back, by not stealing, by being subject to your masters, even in this horrific life situation, you can choose to be ornaments. You can choose to make the gospel attractive. That's God's will for you in 2019. Make the gospel attractive in whatever circumstance you find yourself. And before you and I start going, woe is me, I think about those slaves. Because that verse really was a check on me before I throw a big pity party about how bad my life is. Because these were slaves who could have been killed at any second with no problem. These were slaves who were, who were just living day to day in absolute Squalor. And in Titus, he says, hey, even in that mess, you can choose to make the gospel attractive. You can choose to be an ornament for Jesus. This is what we need to do in 2019 in Ojai. Amen? When, the, when, when we gather as a church, my heart for the well, for Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship is that Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship with all the people that come and all the ministries that we do and everything, it's just an ornament for Jesus. I just want this ministry and this church to be attractive and make people attracted to Jesus. Right? So when people look at it, go, man, there's something about that. And when they come and they visit, we go, yeah, it's crazy, huh? It's Jesus. That's all we're about here. That's all we're about. Now, here's the challenging thing about this. When you step out to be godly, the Bible says, all who desire to be godly will suffer persecution. So don't expect about it from the world. In fact, if you step out to be godly, some of your coworkers will be like, dude, what's up with you? Right? Expect the persecution. You can also expect it to be kind of hard. Because once you step out to be godly, you know what's going to rear up? Your flesh. Your flesh. How many of you are doing the reading plan? How many of you have found it a tad bit difficult to hang in there? Thank you. January 1st. I'm like, oh, it's January 1st. That's that Bible reading plan thing that I've been promoting for two weeks. So I open it up. I'm like, oh, this is, good. this is exciting. And I've read through the Bible before. And I'm like, oh, this is fresh. This is new. Watch the video. I'm like, hey, that's a good video. 
And then I'm supposed to start reading Genesis 1. Moment of transparency here. A minute into reading Genesis 1, I am struggling. Not with understanding it, wanting to do it. I'm like, and it caught me out of the blue. It caught me out of the blue. And I was like, okay, if I'm take off my pastor hat for just a second, and I'm like Joe Average Christian right now, just a normal guy trying to follow Jesus, I don't want to do this. I'm struggling right now, Lord. And I literally had to do this. I was on my iPad, my other iPad, so I had to turn my iPad off. I turned my iPad off, and I'm like, God, I need your grace right now. And I sat there, because I was like having a pity party, and I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. This is this. I don't want to change my morning routine. I don't want to change my morning routine. Everything in there, everything in me wanted to go have coffee. And just get on with what I have been doing. And I was sitting there and I was like throwing a tantrum. Because I didn't want to read my Bible. I didn't want to read it. I'm just, I'm just being, I'm honest with you. And then I eventually did. Turned it back on. Like, okay. Right? <laughs> and here's the thing. You know, I was like, man. Whew, talk about being humbled, Pastor. I was like, man, I'm so locked into my routine. I'm so locked into what I want to do to start the day, to carve out 15 minutes to read the Word of God. I was a straight-up rebel. I just, I was struggling. And God's like, you see, you need, your, you need my grace even to read my Bible, don't you? Yeah. Okay. It was humbling. It was humbling. And then, you know, it's gotten easier. What are we on, day six? Right? Day six. Okay, here's a greater moment of transparency. So I usually read right when I get up. And I'm like, Lord, it's Sunday. And I have, I, I have my routine on Sunday. I get here really early and I'm prepping for the message and everything. I did not read this morning as a moment of confession. Straight up choice. I could have 15 minutes. I could have I I changed my Sunday routine well, I'll be honest with you. I'm still trying to figure out how to do this. Because this morning, I had my routine down. And I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And so I came here and I've done this and I've, I've just straight up said, I'll just do it later. The problem is, there's NFL playoffs. So what I thought was going to happen after lunch may not happen until after dinner unless the Warriors are playing. And then I'll probably try to sneak it in right before I go to bed. But I've tried that before and I fall asleep. So, right? It's a journey. It's just a journey. So hold me accountable. I give you all permission. Hold me accountable. It's fine. Right? Because I'm going to do the same to you. But, um, and here's the thing. When you step out to be godly and you make decisions in your life, this is why we pray. You come to the throne of grace. And this is why you need others around you. To hold you accountable. To encourage you. To speak truth into you. If you're like, if you're like at this place, like, I want to be godly. I want to be holy. God, show me how I can be transformed. Right? We all have blind sides. And we all tend to give ourselves more credit sometimes than is due. If you really want to be transformed and you're at this level, ask someone that you trust dearly to speak truth to you about an area in your life. Ask someone in your life that you really believe wants the best for you, isn't condemning, that just loves you dearly and wants you to see, see you become a godly man and godly woman. Ask that person and say, Hey, hey Mike, what do you see, man? Permission to speak freely. Now, not, not right now, but... <laughs> find, find someone and give them permission to speak freely into your life in the love. To say the things that you kind of already know are true, but when someone says it, okay, and maybe not your spouse. <laughs> oh, right? It's like... 
See, he's talking. That thing I told you you need to work on, honey. See? No, maybe it's the, a, a different source, so you'll receive it differently. Find someone in your life. You want to be godly? You want to be holy? Ask someone in your life to speak some truth into your life. Well, you know, dude, your temper. Or, hey, you know, I, I've kind of observed this. I think, maybe, what, let's see what that does. See what that does this year, right? In your sermon notes, I've, I've changed things. I added a section. If you look at your sermon notes, there's a section that we're going to keep in here from here on out. We had scriptures, we have notes, and now we have an application. And there's just some questions. Have you made time to seek God's will for specific areas in your life that need transformation? If not, why not? Will you? When? As you read God's word, pray and seek counsel from other believers. Ask God to show you at least one area in your life where you can exercise yourself unto godliness. What specific actions do you need to take to work out your salvation in this area of your life? What changes need to be made? What habits need to be broken? What habits need to be created? How can other believers assist you in this area? I just kind of try to make it real grassroots, rubber meets the road, helpful. Because here's the thing. When you engage and you choose to actively participate and actively follow Jesus, things change. You got purpose. You have joy. You have fulfillment. You get up in the morning and, man, God's doing things in my life. And, you, and you're like, you're just alive again, right? I was, I was getting gas at the Shell in Oakview. And you know how those, those little TVs, right? You fill it up and the TV comes on and you watch, whatever. So I'm filling up. And just as the, the tank gets full, it's like the word of the day. The word of the day comes up on the screen. And the word of the day a couple of days ago was sanguine. S-A-N-G-U-I-N-E. Sanguine. And then it gives a definition. Here's the definition for sanguine. Marked by eager hopefulness, confidently optimistic. And then they gave an example of New Year's and the view of New Year's. Sanguine. Eager hopefulness, confidently optimistic. Okay. So as you think of 2019... Does Sanguine describe how you view 2019? Are you eagerly hopeful for what God's going to do? Are you confidently optimistic for what God's going to do? I am. I am. You know why? Because in 2 Peter 1.3 it says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. You know why I'm confidently optimistic? I'll rephrase it. How many of you want to be godly in 2019? Here's the basis of your sanguineness, if that's a word. His divine power has given you and me everything we need. If you want to be godly, you already have all the resources. It's there. He's not playing a shell game. He's not hiding it. He's not. It's there. If you want just this vision that will light your fire for 2019. you got to believe that He's given you everything to be godly. Already. Already. The question is, are you going to position yourself right here in humility and humble yourself? Or are you going to slide into, I got it. I got it. Right? It's just a choice. The radical thing, that verse right there lights my fire. I want to be godly. Amen? Right? Turn to the person. If you want to be godly, turn to the person next to say, I want to be godly. You know what's great? 99% of you said that and it put a smile on your face. Isn't that crazy? I want to be godly. I hope you take that with you because if you want to be godly, he's given you everything you need. It's there. It's there. And you're going to struggle with your Bible reading. And you may procrastinate, and you may kick it down the road, and you may get a few days behind. You're not going to do it perfectly. It's okay. It's called grace. That's why He put you in the family of God. For people to pray for you, to encourage you, to give you counsel, to speak truth into your life. That's why He's giving you this. 
Okay? I love Jesus' example about this issue of will. He's in the garden. He knows God's will. He knows where he's going. He knows it's going to be horrific. And in Luke twenty-two forty-two, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. So, six days into 2019, if you haven't made time to seek God for his will, A, confess it, and B, just go do it. I've already given you his will in the big sense, godliness, holiness, exercising. It's all there already. Now you just got to sit with him long enough for him to make it real. For some of us, right? The choice is this. The blue pencil moment. Are you willing to give God the blue pencil? Are you willing to give God the blue pencil and let him alter, edit, correct your plans for 2019? It's a blue pencil moment. That's what it is. A copy editor uses this to alter, revise, correct for the good. Are you willing to give God the blue pencil and let him write his will for your life for 2019? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are a good God and that your will is always good. Thank you that your will for us is to be godly. And then we celebrate that you've given us everything we need to be godly. And it begins with humility. So Father, we just want to take a moment now and confess if six days into this year we've not sought you. Six days into this year, we've got our plans and you weren't a part of them. And maybe we didn't know. Maybe we just didn't know any of this before we came here and now we know. Maybe we did know, but we got this pride thing going on. So Father, right now, we just want to make this real. We want to stop and have a blue pencil moment. give you the pencil. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, Father. May everything I desire be in line with your word. Thank you that I can come to the throne of grace in prayer. Thank you that I have the body of Christ that loves me, will give me counsel, will speak truth to me when needed. The Lord, in this moment, ask your forgiveness for my pride and I confess those areas where I struggle I just struggle to yield because the flesh just rears up but God I need your grace your will is always good for